0: Thanks for tuning in to the Newborn Promise podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. I'm Audra Haney, and you're listening to an interview with Carissa Kolar titled, When Infertility Shows Up, Is God Still Good? For today's show notes, transcript, and more information about your Newborn Promise project, please visit GrahamBlanchard.com. Many women struggling with infertility dread Mother's Day. Krissa Kollar, one of the co-authors of Your Newborn Promise Project was no different, but she also says that was the day God broke through and changed her pain into a plan. According to the CDC, there are 7.5 million women in the US struggling with infertility. However, as you'll hear Krissa share next, It's easy to also feel alone. We pray that if you are struggling with infertility, you'll dedicate this precious time to soak up her words of experience, wisdom, and hope. We think the words the Holy Spirit has given her for this episode have the potential to be perspective changing and therefore life transforming. And so we pray that you will enjoy her beautiful monologue
1: we were just following our plan. We went to college, we got our career started, found a great church, had some close Christian friends, we got married, and then bought our first home. So having a child was just sort of the next natural progression on our to-do list, time in life. And I had become more and more curious about what it would be like to have a baby, what it would feel like growing inside of me, delivering a baby and was just become almost like so aware once I was settled into my marriage that my body had this amazing capacity to give life. And I just really had this desire in me grow and grow. And I just thought this is something I really want to experience. And I think from a practical level, we really didn't have um, a bunch of peers that had children. We didn't have a lot of coworkers that had children. We were pretty isolated in that. So as part of our getting married in our church premarital counseling type program, we had to serve in kids ministry, which is very clever of our church, (laughs) and we got to see this whole parent-child dynamic up close and personal. And when you're in the kids' classrooms, you really work hard to try to make a connection with the kids and make sure they're having fun and learning about Jesus. But when you see from an outsider's perspective, the parent-child relationship that happens (laughs) during drop-off and especially the pickup time, um, that really spoke to us. The, the kids would see their parents and run to the other end of the room, mama, mama, and you would think they'd been separated for a very, very long time, even though it's maybe been an hour. And the kids are just so thrilled to be back with their parents. And you can see the parents' face light up. And as you watch that tangible parent-child bond and their great love for one another, It really created a desire in us to have that kind of unique connection with a child of our own. I wasn't worried right away. Then I started taking kind of an informal poll from the people who we knew. As I looked around, I could see um, other couples that got married around the same time that we did. And I asked them, "How, how long did it take you to get pregnant? And oftentimes they would say, Uh, what didn't happen the first month, it happened the second month. And I thought, wow, okay, that was really fast. (laughs) But I never heard anyone say that it took more than six months. And we were getting there. And I started getting a really sinking feeling. And it was dawning on me, we might have some really serious issue. And my kind of playing it cool and not trying to get worried or maybe not face the fact that I wasn't in control anymore. Um, I just, if a regular pregnancy wasn't going to happen for us, I just I just really had no idea what lay in front of us. Once I started that comparing of what was the normal amount of time to conceive, all these facts were piling up in my mind and I had to face the fact that Everyone I knew who got married in the past three years either had a baby in their hand or they were already pregnant. Like, I just looked around the room and I'm like, it's us. We're like, you know the last ones here. And the other kind of measuring stick we had was that my husband was in graduate school at this time. So he was in school with a lot of other people around our same age. And a couple of guys specifically he was tracking through the program with. So one night we went out to dinner with these two couples and before we had even ordered, one of them said, we're pregnant, we're expecting our first baby and they were just so excited. And then the other couple shouted out, we are too. We're so excited, we weren't gonna say anything, but since you did, and they just went on in their joy and I thought I was gonna suffocate. I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, I have like two hours in front of me. I'm going to be a captive audience at this table listening to all the joy and excitement and and everything I had been hoping for. And it was also confirmation like those were the last two people I knew that weren't pregnant. And it was just, it was overwhelming. Um, I was at the place now where there was so much emotion involved and so much despair and so much head knowledge. It was just becoming harder and harder for me to control my thoughts or my feelings and and put on a happy face and and enjoy other people's news. I was kind of of drowning at that point. Trying for a baby, having sex, was completely tied now to this one outcome, to conceive a child. So once this had happened for us without any results, and it definitely removed all of the romance from the process. And in fact, it was starting to really become, in my mind, a setup for failure. Sex, intimacy, equaled my inability to conceive a child, which equaled frustration and disappointment. And I think I have control because other people are doing the same thing and they're getting some result but we're not. And it just added so much pressure in the marriage and kind of sadness where there should be joy and connection. And then I also wondered sort of beyond that kind of physical romance, happy connection, just from a, from a mental place and thinking down the road, I started to have questions like, if I can't conceive, is that a deal breaker for us? Do people divorce over that? Or do they stay married, but they kind of secretly resent that they got into this infertile situation and that that killed their dreams? They wanted to be a dad or see their own child um, being birthed one day. So then I started wondering how big of a problem could this become? What are the other ramifications? And now my mental, emotional, relational concerns had all just expanded into this big, looming fear. So after about nine months now, everything kind of came to head for me on Mother's Day. We uh, were driving to church in the morning, and I just had all this stuff in me, all these emotions in me, all these fears in me, and I just kind of started pouring out my heart to rob as he was driving and i was saying things to him like i'm not sure i've ever been this low i don't know what's going to be in front of me medically um i don't even know if this is going to result in anything and i just don't even know if i should be in church on mother's day i got out of the car just feeling so isolated in my pain and we went into church And we sat pretty near to the front. And then the pastor got up, and he gave a sermon on Hannah and her
0: infertility.
1: And, you know, I just started to cry. And um, I'm not a crier. I know that's not always a normal girl-female thing, but that's just how I'm wired. So I'm crying in church. And he goes on to talk about Hannah and her husband, Elkanah. And as she was explaining to him how she felt so sad, he really didn't get it. And he said to her at one point, well, well aren't I just enough for you as your husband? And I, I just I just cried more. And her pastor thought, husbands can be really insensitive to infertility. And I just kept crying. And I could tell the pastor was almost getting like a little... Um, Distracted from his sermon because he he looked directly at me a few times, which made me feel worse. I just really couldn't stop, and my husband gave me one of those kind of side hugs and says, "You okay?" And and his eyes said to me like, "You're kind of making the seem like you're gonna get it together pretty soon, right?" And I was just awful. It was like this dam of emotions that I'd been carrying around for nine months just exploded and at the end of the service we had the option in our church at the time to go into the back and receive prayer a sweet assistant pastor just prayed over me and I don't remember his prayer but I was able to kind of gain some composure and we left church and the whole day was just emotionally draining for me And as the day went by and the evening came, I went out to run an errand alone. And when I came back home, I parked the car outside of our house and I didn't get out. I just sat there and I wanted to be alone. And I remember so clearly just feeling, I'm just completely cried out. There's nothing left. All of my emotions have been expressed, and I just felt empty. And as I sat there alone in the pure quiet of my car, a thought burst into my mind, and it was this. I have a special plan for your life. It was so clear. I wasn't sure in that moment if I thought that or if I heard it, and I literally looked around in my car, and all at once. I knew instantly that God spoke to me. It was surprising and thrilling and humbling all at the same time. And I could remember two key moments in my distant past where that message, that exact message had been spoken to me. But this time God spoke it directly to me. And the first thing I thought was he said, sees me God is real and I'm so honored that he just came that close to speak to me in my pain it just made me so happy in that moment that he cared and and then equally the second thing I thought was this isn't just a statement but this is also a question he has a special plan for my life But he's also asking me, do you want my special plan? Do you believe it? And if you believe it, why are you acting like this? And it was so awesome and special. And I thought, God has a special plan for my life. Of course, I want God's plan for my life. And he sees me and he spoke to me. And I have no business acting like this. Anymore. I'm, I'm never gonna be this slow. And it's so funny because when God speaks to you, and it doesn't happen all the time, I know that, but it's it's reassuring and yet it doesn't answer all of your questions. In fact, it often raises other questions. God said, I have a plan, and it's a special plan for you. He didn't say here's the plan and go on and tell me it. And he didn't say, yes, you're going to have a baby and it's going to happen like this. (laughs) No, I didn't know anything more specific about my childbearing future than I did the five minutes earlier. But I did know I was convinced that whatever God had for me, that his plan is best and it's the one I should desire. And that's not just true for me, but that's true for every child of God because we're all unique with a calling just from him that will fit our individual personality, our gifts, talents, our interests. And we are who we are for his purpose. And each of us can only fill our own destiny and nobody else's. So God holds out a life for us and we need to remember to desire him with all our heart and soul, mind, and strength. And that's what I needed to hear. And that's what I heard in that moment.
0: You are listening to the Newborn Promise podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. We are talking to the co-author of the Newborn Promise project, Carissa Kolar, about her struggle with infertility. At the very point Carissa hit rock bottom with her infertility, She shares that God changed her pain into a plan. Carissa shared with us the practical steps she took to trust God in the plan he had promised.
1: So the scripture I always associate with that word is Ephesians 2.10. And it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. So preparing in advance by the very definition is a plan. So this scripture always made me feel grounded that clearly God had a purpose for my life and in fact, a plan because infertility was not my plan right then. But here God gave me a word and he has a special plan. In fact, he described it as he has good works good works, which he's prepared already in advance for me to do. So that word right there was very reassuring for me. And that was sort of an anchor scripture and one I never lost sight of the whole time. And secondly, God brought me into community that I really needed. So I was getting my hair done about every six to eight weeks. And my friend and hairdresser, would have the infertility status update conversation with me, and she would all say the same thing at the end. You should try my women's prayer group. We meet every other Friday, and it's so good. I know you'll get a lot out of it. We can pray for you. And honestly, there were a lot of times she made that invitation, and I didn't go. But now uh, my pain (laughs) has gotten to the place where i was more open to trying some new things so i gave up my right to be lazy after a long week on friday night and try this women's prayer group so i didn't know it at the time but looking back this was a huge fork in the road for me this was one of those life-changing type of decisions We would talk about issues in that group and spend significant time together, and it felt like a support group. So the women that were in there were really dealing with significant things. There was one other uh, young wife in there who just had a baby, and she had been through a long season of infertility, and that was really comforting, and she, she knew well what I was you know, had someone right there who understood what I was walking through. And the other women in there were facing real life crises too. I was in awe of these people, what they were facing, what they were carrying around on a daily basis, and how they were coming together each week, praying with fervor to God to, to intercede in their circumstances and give them direction. And they really taught me a lot about the Christian walk. Every time we came back together, God had some kind of breakthrough or some kind of um, situation or circumstance had advanced in at least one or two of people's lives in the group. And I was able to see how God works and how he answers prayer. And that really built my faith. I started to develop a really strong faith. And um, it's something that I've gone on to um, mimic and maintain and, and have even kept the relationships from this original group over all the years. So this community was, was another really important aspect that was encouraging me and just week by week, honestly, through the whole rest of the infertility And beyond. In our book, um, Newborn Promise Project, there's a chapter called Remember. And they point you to remember or think back to your family history and then to remember that when you're a Christian, the people in the Bible are also your heritage too. They're our, our Christian ancestors, our shared history, and we should draw comfort from them. So this was really true for me, too. Um, I love that the Bible includes stories of women who have struggled with infertility. In the Old Testament, there's Elkanah and Hannah. There's Sarah and Abraham and the Shunammite woman. And, of course, Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament. And I feel like when we look at their stories, you can see that the, the period of infertility was almost like God's way to capture their attention and to signify, I'm doing something not ordinary here. Hannah goes on to birth Samuel, the priest, prophet, and last judge of Israel, who leads the people well and goes on to anoint the first kings Saul, and then David. Sarah and Abraham have Isaac, who's the promise to start the nation of Israel and fulfill that promise to Abraham and Zechariah and Elizabeth, of course, have John the Baptist who makes the way for Jesus. So it's interesting to me to see how much purpose there was in God's plan for both the mother and the sons that they went on to birth, albeit later in life than they had expected to give birth. So some of these, um, Hannah and Elizabeth, they're pretty well-known Bible stories, but a story that I had not really heard prior to the time of my infertility was that of the Shunammite woman. So her story is in 2 Kings chapter 4, and it goes that the Shunammite woman was married but did not have any children. When the prophet Elisha came to Shunim, she urged him to come into her home and cook for him. And he began to just stay with them whenever he was in that region. Then she went to her husband and said, let's add to the house. Let's build a room up on the roof with a bed and a table and a lamp so that when the holy man of God comes, he has a place to stay. And they did it. And one day Elisha was there and asked to speak to her. And he said to her, is there anything I can do for you? Can I speak to someone for you? What can I do? You've been so gracious to me. And her reply to him was basically, I'm fine. And in the text, she says, I have a home among my people. Like, what more could I want? (laughs) So Elisha asked his servant Gehazi for an idea and said, what could I do for her? And he says, well, her husband is old and she has no son. So Elisha prays for her, and then he tells her his prayer, and within the next year, she becomes pregnant and delivers a son. So when my pastor preached the story, he really pulled out that, of course, in in that society and in that day, her barrenness would have been disgraceful personally for her. And having an older husband, he could pass away, and if she didn't have a son— That could possibly be, you know, an uncertain future for her. So this woman, though she would have a societal pressure and maybe even just a, a pressure about her future going forward, she had contented herself so much working and serving God that she did not even ask Elisha, for prayer to become a mother. It did, it was not on her mind. It was not her present, regular thought. And, you know, it's thought really encouraged me. It was, it reminds me of the scripture in Matthew six thirty three, where God says, don't worry about what you'll eat or your drink or you'll wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. And so I just, I wanted to be like her, mm-hmm. that I was serving God and busy doing the things I was supposed to do in my life so that this was not so on my mind, but to let, let God's plan play out. So um, I, I kind of drew from this that if I could seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I would be conquering my fertility from becoming an idol in my life it could have consumed all of my thoughts all of my emotions all of my choices all of my conversations but we're commanded in the bible to have no other god before our god and prior to my mother's day experience i would say that i had turned my infertility into an idol but now you know, I was in this new season and although my pain was real and every single day I woke up with a burden in my heart that I really wanted to become a mom and I didn't know whether or not that would happen or how, my experiences with God were also real and he was being very faithful to me, teaching me and leading me. And so in this regard, I was very encouraged by my sisters in Christ and the Shunammite woman who had opened her home to Elisha and was just busy serving God and not despairing about missing her motherhood. So I, I would really encourage everyone, but especially a woman in this season to search the scriptures, attend church and listen to those sermons, take Bible studies. Create opportunities in your life to draw from what God has already recorded in the Bible. God will speak to you in a very personal way when you speak him. And that will sustain you so personally like nothing else. I started seeking medical help. First at the gynecologist, they do some low-level interventions. Try and increase your probability of ovulating and conceiving. And we did that for about three months. And then they referred us to the infertility specialist. And that's a process that starts with various screenings and tests to help you identify what, what's your issue or what's your particular obstacle. So Rob was checked out and he's healthy. There was no male issue. I was a problem. And mostly age-related. The fewer eggs, lower quality eggs, and, and when you're in that situation, it's just so much more difficult for you to have a spontaneous pregnancy. They did their first round of IVF on me in January, and after taking fertility medications and shots, you have an ultrasound, and they see how many eggs your ovaries are producing. So potentially, they want to go forward and draw them out, put them in a Petri dish, Add your spouse's sperm, hope they're gonna do the tango and turn into embryos. That's the hope. So after my first round of drugs, they said, our clinic is typically looking to draw out about 10 eggs to start the process. That's kind of our minimum. I had produced one, to which they said, that's really not enough to continue the IVF protocol. So we're gonna cancel it at this stage. And by the way, I'm not really sure you're a good candidate for infertility treatment at all. So, (laughs) if I had not been going, um, if I had not been in community with the women that I was in and seeking God and being sustained the way that I was, that would have been pretty devastating news. But because of the place I had put myself in, I was able to receive that news and say, well, maybe, but God. And I just wanted some time to go and pray about it and see whether that was confirmed for me. And if the door was going to close, then I was going to be okay because I knew God was going to open up some other avenue where he did want to direct me and did want to take me in that other direction, closer to his plan. But instead, I felt like, God brought some other things to my awareness and one of them was that there were things that you can do that were not medical that can help increase your medical results. And one of them was stress reduction. And right around the time I became aware of that, there was an opportunity in my job in mind. My boss at work called me in and said, you know, we have just been going so hard for so long with all these projects in the next few months, we have really no events, no travel we have to go to, no major deliverables, and you've really accumulated a lot of leave on the books. Um, This would be a really good time for us if you would like to go on vacation. And I just smiled. I thought, God, you're so incredible. I didn't even have to go to my work and ask them, can I have time off? Like, on the order of six to eight weeks to do like a really long rest, they came to me and asked me if I would like to do that. And it was just so clearly God and such a beautiful confirmation. And so I did, I took a very long rest. And at the end of my sabbatical, as I call it, my unofficial sabbatical, I went through a full round of IVF treatment in September, to which we harvested good eggs that became Good Embryo, that went back. And in October, I had my first positive pregnancy test. And in July, I delivered my first child, my son Jackson. There is no question that I was a changed person because of this journey. I faced the fact that I was not in control of my life. The way that I thought I was before. And uh, though I'm not in control, I do have free will. And when I use that free will to surrender my life to God's leading and go after him, I discovered I can trust him. And in the process, I gained some very close spiritual friends and mentors and people that really helped me discover how to develop a deeper faith than I had ever experienced before. And I fell in love with the practice of searching the scriptures, receiving teachings from my pastor at church, going to Bible studies, and praying. And I kept a prayer journal during this time. And I wrote down my prayers, and I wrote down the answers to my prayers, and just seeing that evidence mount week after week and month after month was so exciting. It was a really a tangible record of all the ways that God was working in my life. And to be honest as my pregnancy went on as I got to month 6 and 7 and 8, I started almost kind of mourning what had happened in the past few years and I thought I wonder if I'll ever be as close to God again. I have been clinging to God daily for a really long time to sustain me. And now my, my dream is here and I, and I was wondering, I almost like mourn the loss of that infertility period because it helped me know God in a way that I, I just, on a level I just didn't know him before. And I would tell people that, that I was grateful for my painful season, I and mean, I would never want that to have not happened, and and it could have been anything. It could have been an illness, um, grief, financial struggle. For me, God just used the infertility that was there in my life and my decision to marry late and to start a family late. Like, just used what I had, and. Um, I just would never wish for that season to have not happened. It yielded fruit that still persists. Well, after we had Jackson, we greatly loved being parents. And we also brought the first grandchild into our family on both sides. And frankly, there was just not enough of him to go around. We continued to have struggles getting pregnant. And... There was no spontaneous pregnancy, that is. And with the busyness of having like a new baby and a toddler, I actually didn't try all the time to get pregnant. That is, um, I just took entire seasons off that I could just focus on my family and enjoy the marriage and not have the pregnancy and the medications and calendars and interventions and blood tests and all that kind of looming over us. So I was hoping that maybe we would um, have a miracle and, and have a pregnancy without any of that. But that didn't happen for us. I did, again, have a wonderful support system around me and many good times with the Lord and some very specific confirmation and encouragement that in God's timing, he will bring it to pass. So we were able to welcome Zachary into the world a month after Jackson turned five, we had struggled for a really long time to name him and even went to the hospital without any contenders. And then when we were there, my sweet friend Julie said, you know, the name Zachary means God has remembered. And immediately that fit for us. We feel like God never forgot that we wanted a second child And though the time between our two kids was pretty long, he did allow me to experience a whole second pregnancy and another birth. And God was just very gracious to us with the birth of Zachary. Consider whether your infertility is becoming an idol for you. And if so, I want to start by saying I would encourage you to surrender it to God. Lay it down. And ask God to lead you. Trust him. And secondly, I would encourage you to ask God, please lead me to a scripture that will help sustain me through this season. Um, Let the Lord know, I want to hear from you. And only God knows. You got to remember this. (laughs) Only the Lord really knows where your path is supposed to lead. And there are many roads to parenthood or to something other than parenthood, but whatever is the destiny that fits you best, that's God's plan for you. Search out a growing Christian community that can feed you scriptural truth and has some people in there that are going through struggles as well. You need to find a place where other people are transparent and allows you to be transparent In a healthy and nurturing environment where people are pointing you back to the Lord, but they can really be real about we're going through some stuff that's really, really hard. Um, I think that, you know, when it comes to walking this, there's a whole range of ways husbands are supportive, understand what you're going through, or don't understand what you're going through. And regardless of where you are on the spectrum of that, I I still think it would be good for you to have at least a couple of women in your life that you can connect with about this whole thing, because there's something about uh, just another woman who can fully identify with that, that special heartache that you get about motherhood. And it's something I think that aspects of it, I think maybe um, men can't completely appreciate or understand what that ache is like or that longing to be mom. So I think at least having um, a few women in your corner is really important as well. I want to pray over these first, the Ephesians 2.10. Dear Lord, we just come before you right now, and I want to pray over all of these listeners, Lord, And I want to pray over them first, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And God, we are just, we acknowledge we are saved by grace. You did all the work. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation you made a way lord where there was no way to overcome sin and gain eternal life with you now through christ we have the opportunity to do those good works and to do the plan that you prepared in advance for each one of us to do and i pray that each person listening to this broadcast will be reminded and encouraged God has a special plan for your life and he will use all your heart desires your gifts your talents all your interests to draw you closer to your destiny I pray Lord that these men and women would be able to surrender their pain and all the areas where they feel alone and all the places where they're just actually going it alone. I pray that they will begin to trust you and know that you are a good God with a good future for each person and that they will begin to hope in you because you are faithful and you will not disappoint. Our God longs to comfort you and show you the way that you should go. And my prayer is that you will take him up on his offer and that you will follow him and discover his great love for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Carissa's amazing testimony today. And please remember to share it with your friends or family members who may also be struggling with infertility. Carissa is a regular contributor to our Graham Blanchard blog, and shares posts and insights on our Instagram and Facebook pages regularly. So please go check that out for more of her wisdom. And remember, you can get today's show notes, transcript, and more information about your newborn promise project at grahamblanchard.com.